Well, good morning. It's uh, great to have uh, all of you here. It's great to have all of you that are uh, joining us online. I love the, uh, the uh, bumper videos they're putting together for these. That, that like was so good. We could just pray and go almost. But no, don't clap for that. <laughs> but you know, I already have a little something prepared. So, uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're in this uh, series. Uh, and, and really, this series is all about unpacking our mission. It's about us as we're starting off um, this fall and looking forward. Like, what is God calling us to? Understanding this mission better. Last week, we looked at this idea of acceptance. And uh, this week, I want to look at the idea within our mission statement of freedom. And normally, when we think of freedom, like the first thing that comes to mind when we think about freedom is like what? Like, William Wallace, right? You know, freedom, you know, and I thought I could come out with blue face and a kilt. And then I thought, no, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm clapping for that. Yeah, you, yeah. <clears throat> Anyhow, um, uh, you know, we have these images of freedom and what freedom is. And when we think about freedom in a spiritual sense, um, oftentimes we think about freedom kind of on the front end of our spiritual journey with Christ. We think about freedom uh, like as a part of those first steps of when we became a follower of Christ. And we think of it in this way, like, like Christ set me free from sin. Um, and all of that is good and all of that is true. But when we think about our mission, when we think about loving people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ, I actually want us to think about this freedom component in a way that is, is less about that front end of our spiritual journey and more and more about um, what it is to grow in, in spiritual maturity. Because there's a part of freedom that you see expressed in Scripture, and we're going to look at that here in a little while, that captures this other part of what does it mean? What does it mean to step into freedom in a way that is connected to spiritual maturity? And I'll even go so far to say is if we don't ever grasp that or get that, uh, you, you can't really experience true, authentic, spiritual maturity without freedom uh, in this. And so freedom becomes part of a, a, this missional idea about how we want to move as people and as a church and the people uh, that we're reaching uh, in all of this. Um, let me illustrate it in this way. So um, when my son was born and as he grew a little bit, and even as a little kid, there were all of these things that you could see where like he and I were similar. You could see parts of his personality and stuff in me. And like, that was like fun and exciting as a young dad to kind of see that. And there were even things about uh, Chandler that you could, uh, that were similar to like my own dad. And like, it was kind of fun and everything. Uh, but uh, through that, uh, like, something happened. Like I, I started seeing these things and out of just the, the fun or the excitement of it, it was a little bit, it affected my parenting a little bit is I just made these assumptions about what Chandler was going to grow up and be. Uh, for instance, uh, when he was still uh, real young, uh, I would drag him out into the garage to change the oil in the cars. And I thought like, he's going to love this, right? And yeah, and y'all are giggling because you're just like, why would you think that, Glenn? That's yeah, right? Doesn't every kid want to go in the garage and change the oil in their vehicles, right? Because, you know, I would say things like, you know, Bartos, we, we change our own oil. And he's just like, man, why am I a Bartos? 
gosh, you know. Um, but part of that is because when I grew up as a little kid, uh, working, you know, with my dad, changing the oil, that was something I loved to do. And so there was a part of me that just assumed well, my son will love it too, right? And there's a great skill there, right? But I remember one time driving down uh, Oracle one time and Chandler's just like, Dad, look, that place says they'll change your oil for you. <laughs> Looks like you could just drive up and they'll do that. Oh no, we don't do that. <sighs> Really? <laughs> you know, um, uh, there were, you know, I would drag him out on camping trips and out into the desert and hiking trips and all of these things and build stuff and, you know, and there would be things that he would resonate with. And then there'd be, uh, you know, other parts of this where it's just like, you know, like, what are you doing in this thing? And uh, like, any of you ever have that? Any of you have your parents uh, like, uh, like would pull you into some part of their world that you know, they, like you were just like, no way. And, but they just thought you would love it. Anyone ever have parents or someone in your family? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe your idea of camping was like, you know, a Holiday Inn Express, you know. And, and you know, and your parents were like, oh no, like we're going to sleep in a tent or on, you know. I, and, and I would always tell my kids, yeah, I don't believe in tents. We're going to camp. Like we're going to sleep on the ground, right? And, you know, and then they discovered tents. And they just did a lot of these kinds of discoveries in my family <laughs> that didn't always go over well, right? But it, there's this realization that, that came about at some point in this because I had to realize I was, I was overlaying something on Chandler in a way that it was like, I had this image that like, this is so cool. He's like me. And so there's this kind of sameness. It's like, like, uh, like when you think of like a cookie cutter, remember like when your, when your mom would make like cookies, I remember my mom make these cookies and she had these like 10 things shaped like whatever the cookie was going to be. And she just like stamp out the same shape over and over and over and over again. And in a weird way, it was almost like I was thinking of it like that. Like, not in a formal way, but it was just like, what I was really doing was, was thinking of him as becoming the same as me as he grew up. But the realization was, you know, uh, Bartos don't all have to be one way, right? Uh, like, I was starting to see it, it like with, he was going to grow up and be like a cookie cutter version of me in this. But it, but somewhere in there, and Angie and I both like really came to this realization that we wanted to parent our kids maybe in a different way. That at the end of the day, like we could parent them to be squeezed into the mold or fashioned into the image of what we wanted them to be or, or, you know, like us in some way. Or we could help shape and encourage them to become who God was creating them to be. And so for me, it was like, okay, what's the goal going to be here? Is the goal going to be, you know, I want Chandler to be a cookie cutter image of me or do I want Chandler to grow up and become the man that God is creating and shaping him to be because the path that you take on those two different things starts becoming very very different one path is about squeezing into a mold the other path is about setting him free now I bring up this illustration because Something similar can happen with churches, 
right? We can get this image of like, this is what a really good Christian should look like. And, and we can think about all those things. And it may be really good things. And it may be things that we think of, of how we went on our spiritual journey or what we saw growing up or whatever it would be. But churches can, without realizing, can start fashioning this kind of cookie cutter image of what a Christian should be. It's like cookie cutter Christianity. And without realizing, we can begin start smashing people or squeezing people into this very particular kind of mold. But the question is, is the goal to be a church that's going to crank out cookie cutter Christians or do we want to be a church that is actually encouraging and helping people to mature in Christ as he has been creating and working in their inner lives and fashioning them and like who is he making them to be? And I think as a church, right, we've got to think about that goal because it is so easy for churches to accidentally get into this thing where we start accidentally communicating the, this singular image of what a good Christian is like and what they will do and all of these things and accidentally start squashing the freedom that we have in Christ. And the problem with that is once we start doing that, it's like we hold back this maturing that needs to take place because the maturing is to become more and more who God created you to be. Um, Paul uh, speaks to this and he gives us this uh, really important uh, warning of sorts or challenge of sorts. Uh, in Galatians chapter five, uh, he starts off with this uh, verse. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm there and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right? What he's saying is like, this is really important that we learn to step out in faith. And, and part of stepping out in faith is this component of freedom. And, and the whole idea behind the language here is this idea, it is for freedom's sake. So some of you may have that translation in your uh, Bible. It is for the purpose of that freedom. There's something that needs to uniquely be exercised in every single believer that they start finding their own muscles and their own groove and their own purpose in, in Christ. And they start to exercise that becoming true to what God is doing uh, in them. And it just, it just becomes easy um, to miss all of that. So when we talk about this mission, this mission to grow and mature, this mission of how we want to love people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ, uh, that, that we understand how important that is. In fact, one of the things uh, that Paul says in there is if, if you go the other direction, like if, if you don't seek uh, to step into that freedom, like bad things happen. You're not actually trusting Christ uh, at all. In fact, look at what he says down at the second half of verse uh, two. He says, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Because, friends, Jesus isn't after cookie-cutter Christians. And we want to have a mission that doesn't accidentally move us in that direction, but actually moves us into something deeper and richer, right? Now, let me just say what it's not, though. I think this is uh, important because as we talk about freedom, I get it. There, there can be this thing where it's like, it feels a little nervous. Like this freedom piece, it just feels like it invites us to maybe wander out in some place that is a little dangerous or something. But so let me be really clear. Two things that 
that scripture is not saying about freedom and that we're not saying about uh, freedom when it comes to our mission. And the first one is this. Freedom is not undoing what Jesus is seeking to do in someone, right? To be, f- to exercise your freedom is not to, uh, to, to stiff arm something that Jesus is clearly seeking to work or develop or do inside somebody's life. That's not freedom. Freedom is not saying, well, I don't have to do that, right? Um, secondly, freedom is not giving unbridled permission to our flesh. And what I mean by that is uh, oftentimes in Scripture, there's, uh, it, it uses this like illustration or metaphor of the flesh as describing those desires that we have that are contrary to God, those desires that are a shortcut to trying to meet our needs in some uh, way that really isn't us, giving into those things that are just like uh, short-term things, uh, sinful things. Freedom is, is never meant to be some sort of weird permission to just be unbridled in doing whatever uh, your flesh uh, would draw you into. In fact, I, I would say neither of those two things are freedom at all. In fact, I'd say they're just bondage of another kind, right? To pursue the flesh, that, that's not freedom. That just ties us up, makes us slaves to something else in a different, uh, uh, different way. This freedom is this beautiful way of partnering with what God is doing in you and understand you're being set free to live out of what God is doing and forming in you. Um, I want to give you an illustration of this. Uh, The preacher team, as we were meeting uh, earlier this week and we were talking about like what, what what would be one of the better biblical illustrations that we could use to get this concept across. And what hit us was maybe the best biblical illustration of this isn't a single uh, Bible verse, but it is the entire Bible itself. And here's what I mean uh, by this. When you think about the Bible itself and how God inspired the writing of the Bible, the journey that God went on with those writers actually becomes an amazing illustration of this kind of freedom, of, of living out of who you are partnered with God that we're talking about when we talk about freedom. So I want you to think about the Bible here and how God uh, went about writing it. You know, when you think about Scripture, this is a massive body of material. It is some 66 documents or books or letters uh, that were written by 40 to 50 some authors over 1,500 years. All, all of it written by God, inspired and written by God for his purposes. Think about how important the Bible is to God, how, how God uses scripture and the role that it has played for centuries in the formation of his church and moving things. I'm like, This is really important, isn't it, right? And so when you think about the importance that Scripture holds, there is this natural expectation that we would have that when it comes to God inspiring Scripture, um, that, that God would do this in a way where there would be a kind of sameness to the tone and the thought, uh, to the flow, the verbiage, everything. That, there, this, that the sameness, the consistency would follow from book to book to book to book through all 66 documents that make up what we call the Bible. Like we would just expect that, that God would do it that way and that he would do it 
with, uh, without allowing any freedom of the writers to impose a sense of their personality or impose or leave a stamp or a mark of who they are. That God just say, okay, when it comes to the Bible, uh, you know, you can have freedom, but, but when it comes, you know, if I'm choosing you as to be one of the authors of the Bible, I'm going to remove all freedom you have uh, to mess with it or to leave an impression of your personality or who you are on it. We would just expect God to say, this is so important. Uh, like, I, I don't want human interference in on this. But you know what? When you look at Scripture, you know what you find? you actually find the opposite in this, right? We would assume that maybe when God says, you know, to someone like John, you know, John, I want you to write a gospel, you know? Okay, God. And he sits down at the desk, leans back, and his eyes roll back in the back of his head, and his hand just like, uh, you know, and God is just furiously writing through John's hand. And then John goes, ooh, wow, this is what God wrote through me, right? We, just, we think of, you know, that that must be the way God inspired the Bible. And yet when you actually look at the Bible itself, it shows us something very different. It shows us this picture of how God takes the beauty and the uniquenesses of how he made all of these different authors and he actually uses who they were to write scripture, like he is partnering with them in some way. There is a deep mystery to this, but it is not a mystery that eliminates the humanness or the freedom that people had to influence Scripture. So uh, let me just walk through some uh, examples with you on this. Uh, take, for example, uh, John and Paul, right? These are two of the most prominent writers in the New Testament. Um, Paul is this writer, and he has this intenseness to him. He is a in-your-face kind of guy uh, oftentimes. He is like the energizer bunny. He has limitless energy, and he is up for any debate, any fight. He doesn't back down from anything, right? He just... And, and it actually comes through uh, in the scriptures that God had him write in this. Let me, let me give you an example of this. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, like Paul is not afraid to use sarcasm. There, there was a little bit of a sarcastic side uh, to Paul. Um, look at chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 16. Um, he is in this a little bit of a sparring match with some of the leaders at Corinth and he, he says this to them. He writes this. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool but if you do, and here's where the sarcasm comes in, right? But if you do, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting, right? And you just feel the sarcasm kind of, oh, let me do, you know, I'll, I'll, let me do a little boasting. I'll get, I'll get a few things in. Um, in this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as if, as, as the Lord would. Wait, pause for just a second. Paul just said, um, and in this boasting, I'm not going to talk as God would talk. And you want to go, uh, <clears throat> Paul, you know what you're actually saying right now? It's actually going to go in the Bible someday. Maybe you shouldn't say that. <laughs> like he literally says, in the Bible. Well, 
I'm, you know, it's not like God would say it this way, but I will, right? And it's like, and then you want to go, well, God, why did you let that slip in? Did you notice that he did that in this moment, right? Like, what's going on in here in this moment? And he doesn't back down, right? There's, there's this part where, uh, look at verse 17. He goes on, and he, or the rest of seven, he says, I am not talking as the Lord would, uh, but as a fool, right? And again, this is sarcasm, a very particular type of sarcasm. Uh, Since many are boasting in the way the the world does, I too will boast. Um, You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise, right? Yeah. Um, And he's using a very particular type of sarcasm that that is like Paul. And it's not like God says, well, I can't let any of that get through in my book. For some reason, God actually uses partners with with who Paul is in this moment to do something uh, in in all of this. Um, You think about John. Uh, who writes a gospel. He also writes letters in much the same way uh, Paul does. And John, on the other hand, uh, he doesn't come uh, at life in this, some way, in this same way, not even sh- when he's writing scripture. Um, he is a far more empathetic kind of person. Um, he is much more pastoral in what you uh, see uh, uh, throughout his letters and even in his uh, gospel. Um, uh, but he also... Uh, in a weird way, kind of thinks highly of himself in a way that you go, hmm, that, that you don't see in Paul. In fact, in his Gospels, he refers to this particular person in the third person, but it is kind of a, a thinly veiled reference to himself, okay? And the reference is, he will talk in moments about it, he can say, and then there was the apostle, or there was the disciple that Jesus loved. And you're like... Who says that about themselves, right? Okay, and you go like, like, okay, like Jesus loved all the disciples. But the way he writes, it's like, you know, I know Jesus loved all the disciples, but he loved this one the most, you know. And it might have been me, you know. And you're just like, you know. But understand, like, there's this thing where you just see the, the part of John's heart that he's just so overwhelmed by Jesus' love, that there's this part of him that, you know, I might go, well, you know, I, I've got some verses that says Jesus loves us all evenly, right? That seems pretty good theologically. But there's something about John goes, well, it may be, but he still loved me more, right? And just like, what's going on? And that it's in the Bible. But there's something beautiful that comes out of this. I, like, I want you to notice this, right? Uh, Paul and John will both write some of the most profound, deep passages on the supremacy of love that you will find in all of Scripture. They both have written like world-famous passages on the topic of love. But they get worked out differently. And and it's like God uses who they are for a particular reason. So Paul, Paul writes about love, but he writes about it with challenge. He writes about it. He is putting a stake in the ground that like, if you want to back off on the supremacy of love, I 
dare you? There is nothing more important, right? And he just, like, he has this fortitude to just keep pushing it forward in the face of so many other things uh, that maybe would want to dominate more than love. And Paul won't let it. In fact, I would just see if you don't notice his personality uh, coming uh, through this. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And again, a famous uh, passage on love. And, and when I read this, I want you to listen to his personality. If Paul doesn't come through in this, he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Do you feel the challenge? Do you feel the feistiness in that? He goes on, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Wow, that's powerful, right? And do you see how God's, like moments where God, like where he is wanting to bolster and like challenge us with the supremacy of love. Paul, Paul writes in scripture in a way that brings out God's heart while letting Paul be free to be Paul. It's beautiful. But you know, he does something else with John. John, who's so pastoral, so empathetic, right? There's this side of it that there could be people that could hear, you know, a challenging passage about love and how, you know, if you don't have love, like you have missed the train. But what about people who say, I, I get the supremacy of love. And I bet, right, they're the opposite of John. I bet, I bet God could love all these other people with a tremendous grace. But you know, there's me. I bet that love doesn't go all the way to me, right? You, you, you want to discount yourself. See, John, John cares about that. He feels that. Let me read a passage to you from one of his letters, a famous passage that he writes about love and see if you can't feel who John is coming out in every word. Here's what he writes in 1 John chapter 3. He starts it off with this way. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And he can't just stop it. Like, and, and we were called children of God. He follows it up with, and that is what we are. In case I just said that thing and you're like, well, maybe I'm not. No, that is what we are. And it's like he can still feel this sense of, of how at different moments as human beings, we can know the truth in our brain and miss it in our heart and discount it. And so he goes down, he finishes out this section in verse 20 and he says these words. I just want you to read these. He says this, if our hearts condemn us, See, that's what happens. And some of you know what that's like. Moments where, where your own heart is the thing that is condemning you. And it's like John's just like, okay, you got to know this. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, right? Just because you condemn yourself, that's not God. He still loves you. He's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. 
Do you see the empathy? Do you see what he's doing? And I just love that instead of removing any vestige of who Paul and John are, God has this beautiful way of saying, I've been working in you guys. I've been fashioning. You know, Paul, I made you kind of feisty. And John, I made you this guy filled with empathy and understanding. And I know how to use who you are to even go so far as to be authors of my scripture. See, I just think that's beautiful. That's freedom. That is living who you are. They were living who they were, but in partnership with Jesus, in partnership with God. Let me give you one more example of this uh, out of scripture uh, by an old, and I'll give you an Old Testament uh, example of this. And this guy is Jeremiah. He's this Old Testament uh, prophet. Um, and he was uh, kind of a fiery, uh, you know, strong personality as well. But he was very different than Paul. Like he was fiery like Paul, but Paul was succinct and to the point. And Paul was, you know, kind of even keeled when it came to his arguments and what he would uh, lay out. Jeremiah is like a swing set of emotions, man. I mean, this guy just goes on and on. And there is nothing succinct about Jeremiah. In fact, if you were to, if I were to ask you, what do you think is the longest book in the Bible, right? And you were to say, I bet it's Genesis. That would be a really good guess because Genesis seems like a really long book, but you'd be wrong. Genesis is only the second longest book in the Bible because Jeremiah can't shut up when he's writing. He literally has a book. He wrote a book longer than Genesis, right? I mean, it's like, what? and he just goes, and the mood swings just go back and forth in this, right? Let me give you some examples of this. This is, um, this is found in Jeremiah chapter 20. And this occurs right after Jeremiah has confronted the leaders of Jerusalem, right? And he's told them, you know, you know, death and destruction and, you know, COVID-1 is going to come if you don't turn and repent, right? Um, and they're like, forget you. And then Jeremiah is like, oh, I'm hurt. They didn't listen to me when I was threatening and mean and threatened destruction on them, right? And so he gets upset with God and he says this. This is Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Um, he says to God, you deceived me. You know, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me, right? And you just say, you know, um, Jeremiah, you're accusing God of wrongdoing. Yeah, you know, ixnay on that. That's, you know, because that might go in the Bible someday, right? And yet God's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. He's like, whoo, whoo, you know, all the way out there. But I can use this. Um, and here's what's crazy, right? So he goes on for several verses here. And it's just, and, and you can read it on your own. He just goes through this whole thing. He gets down to verse 13. Look at verse 13. Just complaining and moaning. And then verse 13, he goes, sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Right? Let's just sing a little song, right? Kumbaya, can we all hold hands? And you're just like, what just, man, you gave me whiplash, dude. Like, that's just, you read this song. But watch this. Next verse, very next verse, right? Verse 14. 
Sing a little song, verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born, right? Ooh, that's what, that doesn't make for a good song, right? I just, I think we just stopped singing, right? Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me be, uh, be not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. I, he's now going off not on his parents. He's going off just on the poor guy that delivered the news to his dad, right? And he doesn't let go of it, right? This is where he just keeps on going. Right? Look at this. He goes on. May that man, right? The guy that gave his dad the news. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon. Just wreck his life, God, because I've... And you're just like, oh my gosh, Jeremiah. What? Like, it's just... But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right? You and I might, well, I should say, I know. If I was having somebody like ghostwrite something for me, I'd be going, let's not go with Jeremiah. Because right? <laughs> we don't know what mood he's going to be in, right? But, you know, there is something so powerful about the book of Jeremiah. In these moments where Jeremiah just swings from one end to the other, and as he swings back and forth, it is unvarnished, unedited honesty about where he is with God. And what we get to see out of this is that God can handle that. God can handle our disappointment. God, God, can, God is okay when we're not okay with him. And you, all of a sudden you, you look back and you say, we really serve a big God, a God who's not petty, right? And it's like God says, I, I can use Jeremiah too because I made him that way. I knew he was gonna be all over the place. He's great at a party or really bad at a party, right? But either way, right, it's just like, and as you look through scripture, what you see is God saying, this is my word, this is my scripture. But the way I want to move and work in this world is I want to take what I've fashioned and created in this person and what I've fashioned and created in this person and you and you and me and you. And because I'm the author of what I'm also trying to do in this world, if you will step into being free, freedom that I have given you to live out of who I've created you to be and you partner with me, I can use you in the most beautiful way that will fill you with purpose and meaning and mature you into all that I created you to be. See, that, that's what we're after. Instead of being a church that says, okay, we've got this one image of what good Christians look like and let's organize and do all of these things and anyone that looks at us as a church, it's like they'll get this one image of what a Christian should be, a cookie cutter Christian. Wouldn't you love to be the kind of church that says, you know what, our God is bigger. Our God is working in ways that are like sometimes hard to see or understand and we can partner with him in what he's doing in us with what he's doing in the world. And when our mission says we want to pull people into that, see, that is so much more mature 
than seeking to simply create or crank out cookie cutter Christians. That's the challenge that I wanna challenge you all with. That is why this is a part of our mission because it's really easy for churches to accidentally fall into this space where, where the sameness starts prevailing in everything. So can I just leave us with two challenges here, two challenges uh, out of all of this. The first one is this, as we all seek to live out this uh, mission and what it means to be free. The first one is this, honor the freedom in others without taking it away, right? And, and what I mean by this is that there'll be moments where you might be confused, where there's something that, that may feel uneasy or you're trying to figure out. Find a way to step back and just allow God to work in other people maybe differently than he's working in you. Give God room to do that. Don't walk out your faith in a way that starts putting pressure on other people that is painting over maybe some of the uniquenesses of what he's cultivating and doing in their lives. God may choose to work differently in different people's uh, lives. Uh, this, uh, about a year ago, uh, when I was on sabbatical, I had uh, the, the privilege to spend a little time over in Africa on my sabbatical. And I met this one couple and the wife had grown up her entire life agnostic and had never believed uh, in, in God. And uh, people had talked with her about it at different moments and she just like, it, she just kind of blew it off. And she went through this really difficult time when her mom passed away. And it caused her to start asking some of these spiritual questions about God. And as she was sorting through this, she had this series of these really weird dreams uh, that all involved like stars and stuff. And she didn't know what to do with it. And she told me this story. She said, in one day, uh, or one evening, she was standing outside and she looked up just in time to catch a falling star. And she said, in that moment... I knew that that was God telling me he was actually real. I'm like, okay. And then, and you know, in that moment, I'm just like, well, maybe not because, you know, I, I, I'm going through all the theological things in my mind right now. And then she said, and you know, within this happened within days of that. She became a Christian because in the best sense that she understood, she trusted Christ with her life, right? And I think in that moment, she actually did become a follower of Christ. She went to church for one of the first times in her life that wasn't to like a wedding or a funeral and started uh, telling a few of the people about it and saying, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this whole Christian thing. I just became a Christian because God told me to become a Christian because I saw this falling star. At which point they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a thing. Sorry, you're wrong in that. And, and she had the multiple conversations that just crushed her spirit to the point that she like stopped going to church and her faith just floundered for about three years in this thing. And, um, and she found out that I was a pastor. And so she started asking me about this. And in that moment, I, all I could think to do is I started asking her questions. And I said, okay, so like, okay, okay, the dream and the dreams were weird and bizarre. And I said, so when you saw the falling star, like you knew that God was real. And she said, yes. And I said, and that led you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. She said, yes. And I said, well, God works in mysterious ways. I just like, let's just, let, I said, you know what? And I actually told her, I said, you know, I said, I think 
God gets to work however God wants to work. And if he worked through you looking up and seeing a falling star, and if that was the thing that brought you whatever closure you needed to trust Jesus, I said, let's go with that. And let's figure out what the next step is after that. And in that, to my utter surprise in that moment, tears just started flowing down like her. Like it's just like all she needed in that moment was just to have another Christian go, you know what? God gets to work in your life however God wants to work in your life, even if I don't understand it. And then through tears, she said, because she had just recently started kind of uh, testing the waters with another church, and here's how that happened. She goes, and I was reading part of the Bible, and there was this time when Jesus was being born, and God used a star. <laughs> I was like, well, there you go, right? Okay, right? It's just, and it became this beautiful thing, right? Yeah. And the thing is, I have no good theology for why seeing a falling star is proof that God is real and you should give your heart over to Jesus. But if that's what happens, let's just roll with it, okay? It's just, you know, and that's the thing that sometimes... I think there's this moment where we get so caught up where there can be something like, okay, I see that theologically different. Okay, that's true. But you know what? You don't have to give up your journey where you're at or even what you believe to say, okay, I'm going to be open to that God maybe can work in someone else in a different way. I don't want to paint over what God's doing in somebody else's life. Make room for people to come from different directions and the journey that they uh, come on in all of this. Second thing, second thing is this. Trust that God made something unique in you because he is seeking to do something unique through you. I promise you, each and every one of you have unique gifts unique spiritual gifts. There are uniquenesses about your personality. There are uniquenesses about the experiences and the things that you've been through that have shaped who you are. There are things that God has challenged you with uniquely and grown you in that makes you something unlike any other human being that has ever been on the face of this earth. And God who made you that way who knows what he is seeking to do and how he is wanting to work in this world, in as much as he was able to use Jeremiah and do something special, or Paul or John, he can do the same thing through you. And sometimes it happens in unlikely ways. And part of it is just being open to that, even if there's moments you can't see. Um, I, I know I've shared this uh, before in the past, but I, but I want to just use it as an illustration here. You know, um, I really... Uh, experience what I thought God, what I believed and still do, that God was calling me into ministry all the way back when I was in high school. And that was so confusing for me, okay? And here's why. Because uh, as a kid, everything about who I was and about what I loved in life and how I uh, uh, approached life as a kid and into high school, in my understanding, was the exact opposite of anything God would do if he was going to have someone be a pastor, right? Every pastor I knew was not like what I was, right? Um, my passions, my dreams, you know, the, the, just like I was into everything all of the time and hyperactive and, you know, just, you know, I wanted to always go outside and build stuff 
or break stuff because there's fun with both of those things in there. And that just didn't seem very pastoral. Um, and quite frankly, and I don't mean that, you know, nothing against Roger Barrier, who was my pastor growing up in this church. But I remember when I was young and just thinking, kind of boring. You know, I'm just like, glad I'm not Roger, right? Whew, his job, man, yeah. And here I am, right? <laughs> it's just like, but there was this thing that I really wrestled with. I was just like, God, are you nuts? Like, I won't make a good pastor. I'm not that pastoral type of, of guy, right? It's just, there's just no part, like, this is a train wreck in this thing, God, right? This thing. And I struggled through that. And finally, it came to the point where I just, it came to just a thing of trust. God, if that's where you're wanting me to go, I'll partner with you. I'll trust you. I'll take a step. But you know, through the whole thing, I got to say, there was never a moment where I felt like God was asking me to be something that I wasn't. I never felt like God was asking me to stop being the kind of person that I was in this. And interestingly, over the years, I have watched God use that in unique ways. I can't tell you how many times I've been like uh, on a trip or out someplace, uh, oftentimes uh, with, uh, you know, guys on a camping trip or something, and they don't know I'm a pastor at first, right? And we, you know, we start a conversation and, you know, our, our similar interest or, or, you know, something we're, uh, uh, like a place we're hiking or something we're doing. Um, and then they find out I'm a pastor, right? And then it's like, the first thing they do is like, okay, what dirty jokes did I tell and that I'm embarrassed for? That always happens first. And they apologize. I go, you don't have to apologize. But then, it, but then they just become so curious because they're like, okay, if a guy like you, right, that I can relate to would be a pastor, because see, they think pastors are boring too, <laughs> just like I did. Right? And then all of a sudden, I've watched this time and time again, where it's like all of a sudden God's saying, yeah, Glenn, I want to use you to reach them because I want them to know that who I made them to be is something I can use in my kingdom. They have purpose. They have meaning, right? And that's just how God's used me at times. But you know what I know? There are lots of people I don't relate to well. There's lots of people that I'm not going to be the one that's going to connect with them in a beautiful or significant way or know how to minister to them. But maybe you can. Maybe you are the perfect person. You know how to have a conversation with you, with them about some subject. You know how to minister to them in such a unique way. And you know what? If we just become one great big cookie cutter Christian church, think of all the people we cannot minister to, cannot relate to, cannot pastor, cannot touch, right? Bring to that place. But if we are all exercising our freedom in Christ, in living out who we truly are, think of the diversity that that creates and how God can use us in all of these different beautiful ways within this community, but beyond this community. See, that's the church we want to be. There, God can use us in amazing ways. And it starts with, he wants to set us free to be who he's created us to be because that's exactly what he needs in this world. So friends, step out in faith and partner with Christ and live who he's making and shaping and creating you to be. Why don't you stand and I'm gonna close this in prayer here. Yeah. We, we have exciting days 
in front of us as a church. I just, and I love getting to do this with you. Let me, well, let me just say this. If you're visiting uh, here, I'm gonna be hanging out right over here. We'd love to meet you. If you're new to Casas, come and shake uh, my hand. If you've been here for a while and we've not had a chance to meet or whatever, come over there and I would love to shake your hand and just uh, say hi to you. Let, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the beauty and the uniqueness uh, that you are able to uh, just embed in all of us. May you use us as your church in this community and this world. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.